Our scripture this morning is a familiar story, the parable of the prodigal son from the Gospel of Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. And today we will hear this story as a dramatization from four of our members, Zoe Mintz, Josh Cavan, James Cavan, and George Jennison. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, I want my inheritance right now. Why do you need it now? I want to go out into the world while I'm young and have fun. (laughs) So the father divided up the estate between his two sons. The younger son took his share and went off to a distant country. This is great. I can do anything I want. The younger son squandered all his money by living fast and loose. And then there was a bad famine in that country, and he was alone and hungry. This is terrible. I have to get a job. So he went to work for a farmer slopping the pigs. He was so hungry that he wanted to eat the corn cobs and the pig slop, but no one gave him anything. All of my father's farmhands have plenty to eat, and here I am starving to death. I'm going to go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against God and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, so treat me like one of your servants. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. My son is home! The father ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son began his speech. Father, I have sinned against God and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father wasn't listening. He called out to the servants. Quickly, bring out our best clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and the sandals on his feet. And then get the best calf and roast it. We're going to eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. But all this time, the older son was out laboring in the field. When the day's work was done, he came back to the house and he heard the music and dancing. What on earth is going on? A servant told him that his brother was home and their father ordered a feast to celebrate. The older brother got angry and refused to join the party. This is not right. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he said to his father, Listen, for all of these years I've been serving you and I've always done what you asked but you've never had a feast for me and my friends. But when this son of yours comes home after having wasted all your money on who knows what, you go all out with this huge celebration? Son, you don't understand. You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What a wonderful way to hear this story. Thank you to Josh, James, Zoe, and George. I am grateful for the ways that we can be creative in this time of virtual worship. Let us pray. Oh, holy God, we give you thanks for your word to us. Open our hearts and minds that we would reflect on this word 
in our life this day. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember way back in March, sitting in front of this camera and saying to you, we are running a marathon, not a sprint. Remember that? That was when we were focusing on slowing the spread of the coronavirus, flattening the curve. Well, little did I know what a marathon this would be. I am not a runner, but I have heard the term ultra marathon, which I understand to be longer than 26 miles. We are on an ultra marathon, at least it seems. Doesn't March feel like at least a year ago? And how much longer? In this time of social distancing, we have done our best to celebrate amidst the disappointments. From the grief our graduating students faced, the challenges our children experience, and not being able to do all the things that they would naturally do, playing with other children and grandparents, the isolation, those of us who live alone, the adjustments to everything from weddings to funerals. And then after Pentecost, our world seemed to crack open with the death of George Floyd and our attention began to focus, maybe for the first time or in a different way, on the race inequity in our country and the awareness that things need to change. I think it is fair to say that these five months have been the most different five months of my life, challenging, confusing, and hard to make sense of. So much is different. Would you agree? An author of a blog that I read, Courtney Martin says, the mental load of constantly weighing risks and benefits of various scenarios is utterly exhausting. Should we go see my parents who have risk factors? Should we rent an Airbnb so we can discover who we are in a different 1,100 square feet of space? How do we fill out this survey for our school for fall opening? Will it matter? How do we comfort those who have lost their jobs or who are in constant fear that they may lose their job soon? Our traumas surface and bump against one another. People feel judged, surveilled, stuck, made vulnerable. People feel utterly isolated, even in cases where they can't actually be alone. We feel unanchored, despondent about a future we can't even imagine, utterly depleted. Over the past weeks, we've been preaching from the biblical text of the prophets and Jesus's parables. And today we read a familiar text, the return of the prodigal. My theology professor, Dr. Shirley Guthrie used to say, that when Jesus preached, he didn't preach like most of us modern preachers. Jesus 
didn't begin with an introduction to get everyone's attention and to make sure that everyone understood that what he was about to say would be relevant to their everyday lives. Jesus' sermons didn't have two or three points with some good illustrations so that people could really understood, understand what he was saying or the kind of sermons where you go home and remember the illustrations, but forget what it was they illustrate. Jesus didn't conclude with some more or less specific instructions about what his hearers were supposed to do when they went out into the world. Most of the time, Jesus just told stories. They were not so much stories about what his listeners were supposed to do, but stories about God, who God was, what God had done, what God promised to do. Some of Jesus' stories were so clear and simple that they didn't need explanations or illustrations. Others seemed deliberately ambiguous, as if Jesus intended people to go out curious, maybe asking, huh, now what was he trying to say? In any case, stories. As we come to our story, our parable today, let's ask these questions. Who was God? What has God done? And what does God promise to do? I am going to take the traditional route and trust that Jesus, in the telling of this story, is using the Father to represent God. There are umpteen books and papers written on this passage, but for our purpose today, let's consider this. And in thinking about what God does, let's consider what the Father does not do, okay? So first of all, the Father does not tell his younger son, you may not have your inheritance, you have to stay home. He does not make sure that the path that the son is going on will be one that is smooth and safe. He lets his son head out on his journey to learn and grow. He also lets his older son decide his own path. This son chooses to stay home and be responsible and work. The father does not interfere. When the younger son, the prodigal, returns, the father does not say, well, look at who the cat dragged in. He does not say, well, you have made a real mess of yourself. He interrupts before his son gets, I'm sorry, out of his mouth. The father does embrace his son and welcomes him home. It is as if the father does not want to waste another minute. And our third question, what does God promise to do? Throw a party, suggesting that life is precious. Let's not waste another minute. Let's have a celebration. 
This story is troubling for many of us, especially responsible children. I am the baby in my family, and my older siblings might view me as a bit prodigal-like and see themselves as the responsible older siblings. I am reminded of when my sister and I would be heading out the door to go to the mall when we were in high school. My dad would say, do y'all need any money? My sister would quickly start to say, we have some, but before she could speak, I would shh her and say, yes, please. If the prodigal's father first took an inventory of his son's faults and failures, which is what we would probably expect him to do, how would that have served the son or the father for that matter? Think about it. Now, some might say, well, if the father told his son what a mess he has made, maybe the son wouldn't do it again. It was the father's job to teach him responsibility. But was it? Think about this for a minute. How much did the son learn by the unexpected, extravagant grace that this father offered when he welcomed him home with a party? And the older son, he didn't get it, and he was upset. The father does not say to him, oh, stop complaining or don't be so selfish. No, he lets his older son have his feelings, work out his issues and invites him into the party, leaving it to him to decide what he was willing to do. There are many different takeaways in this story. What strikes me in this time that we are living in, this season of great uncertainty, fear, confusion, worry, creativity, self-reflection, humility, in this time where life is out of control, what are we to do? Do we spend our energy fighting and worrying about the future? Do we spend our time taking the inventory of our neighbors as we follow them on social media or hear things, judging them? Do we beat ourselves up for not doing more, being more, being better? Do we take our own inventory and allow our minds to run amok with the disappointments or worries we can conjure up? Or do we ask ourselves, how productive is any of this? What good is there in shaming myself or others? What if instead generosity was extended to ourselves and to others? Finding ways to experience extravagant grace, throwing a party, so to speak. Letting God be our guide. And it is God who accepts us and embraces us just as we are, and even offers to throw us a party. Friends, God is not rigid. God is relational. And as followers of Christ, 
We are invited to receive this relationship, this love, compassion, and grace. What is happening in our world and in our lives is peculiar right now. And in that peculiarity, there is preciousness. It might be that we are being invited to take our own inventory and then welcome ourselves home, like the father in our story welcomed his son. Because it is my experience that when we take our inventory and then beat ourselves up or blame others or aren't able to forgive, we place a barrier between our connection with God. What does it look like today for you to offer yourself compassion and welcome? What would it be like to say to yourself, this is scary and I don't know if I'm doing it right, but I am going to trust that God is with me. The Reverend Nadia Boltz Weber, Lutheran pastor and author, offered this reflection recently. I do not know when we can gather together again and worship Lord. So for now, I just ask that when I sing along in my kitchen to each song on Stevie Wonder's Songs in the Key of Life album, that it be counted as praise. And that when I read the news and my heart tightens in my chest, may it be counted as a Kyrie or Lord, have mercy. And that when my eyes brighten in a smile behind my mask, as I thank the cashier, may it be counted as passing the peace. And that when I water my plants and wash my dishes and take a shower, may it be counted as remembering my baptism. One of the many things I miss about being able to gather in the church building on Sunday is the chance to look into people's eyes, to see how they are doing, to hear their stories and to offer hugs. This is lost right now. We pray for a return, but I wonder, maybe in the meantime, God is teaching us a new way we know that God works and shows up through others, and this is such a gift. But I am finding that God also shows up in me and that God invites me to rest in this grace, to trust that God is with me. As your pastor, I am having to practice trusting that God is with you and praying that you know this. I need to trust God and know that God is big enough to hold us all, even while we're apart. No matter if we are like the prodigal who made a mess of life, or like the older son who was working so hard to not make a mess, no matter our situation, we give praise because the God we worship and love not only offers a generous welcome, but invites us to a party. Amen.